Welcome to the Refuge Church Podcast, where we long to see the lost saved, the saved transformed, and the transformed sent. For more information on Refuge Church, or to learn how you can give to this ministry, visit refugejacks.church. Hey, good morning. If you have your Bible, find Luke chapter 2. Um, somebody outside asked me if it was really that cold or if I was being uh, a diva. Um, and I told them if they'd like to get baptized in a few minutes, I would be glad to walk them up there to the service if they place faith in Christ and feel how cold it really is. So, um, so uh, thank you for the pity laughter. I'm so grateful for that. So uh, I thought it was funny, you know. So um, anyway, my toes are still cold. Like, I, they are numb. So, uh, hey, we have like a couple things to talk about, and then we're going to be in Luke 10. And so just so everybody's aware, uh, we've tried to communicate this, but we did in the fall a series through the book of Luke where we kind of covered the first nine chapters. We said we were going to take a break and then finish the book of Luke this spring. Today begins the finishing, okay? So for the next couple of months, we're going to be in the book of Luke, and today we're starting in chapter 10. Now, before we do that, we've got to tell you a couple things. For those of you that are guests that came to support somebody being baptized, thanks for being here today. If you're online, uh, man, so grateful that you chose to join us. <clears throat> we're only about 17 months old as a church. I don't think we're that old. So, I mean, we're excited about seeing people place faith in Christ and how incredible that is and then respond in baptism. But let me give you a couple things. Number one, um, let's see, I've got several things. Number one, uh, I don't think Megan is in here, but um, in January, the elders affirmed that she would is that for me? That's not for me. Okay, so Megan, um, Megan Cruz, uh, who's been in our church for a while, uh, she uh, is engaged to the guy who was playing guitar back here. She is taking on the position to become part of our staff as the volunteer student director. She's over there teaching students this morning. So if you haven't met Megan, uh, please go tell her thank you, pray for her. She was the one that said, let's get a basketball goal so that when our kids pulled up today, they say, hey, we're now a real church. So uh, Megan Cruz accepted that position, and so she comes aboard our leadership team to work with students, which we're so grateful for to have a weekly student meeting. They are meeting weekly starting last week, every Sunday at 4 p.m. So if you are a student or have one, 4 p.m. today, man, come back here. Uh, Megan and her team are going to do some cool things. Second thing we talked about at the member vision dinner, if you were there, and if you weren't, we want to bring you up to speed, is Stephen came on full-time at Refuge Church. Stephen, stand up. Everybody knows you, but stand up real quick. Uh, is our, yeah, kind of associate slash worship pastor. We now have two full-time staff members, myself and Stephen. Um, this, this uh, the elders met and prayed in the fall, and we just, man, wanted to A, uh, we see that our church is growing, and B, we saw that, um, man, we wanted to affirm the calling of gospel ministry Stephen has on his life, and so you get to hear him each week. He's an incredible worship leader, uh, but he's gifted beyond that. He's a great pastor, uh, and we're grateful that you're a part of the team, bro, um, and uh, so he has come on salary, the whole thing, so you can uh, now bug him a lot, too, so we'd love for you to do that. That'd be amazing, so um, he, he loves that, right? You can give your phone number out now. Is that how we're doing this? So, uh, yeah, that's right. No, um, man, we're excited that you're a part of this uh, as well. Next week is uh, Communion. Uh, we'll meet in here following baptism. Those who are new to Christ and newly baptized can participate as well. And I'm going to say it this week so I, because I can't say it next week, but um, 
you've had Lunchables, right? Um, before you at least know what they are. So communion is going to kind of look like that, like a communionable. Okay, so I'm not going to make that reference next week, but I wanted you to be aware we're not going to set all kind of stuff out. I know there's all kind of stuff in our world going on, and we want to do our best to stay safe. There will be a time where we can share in that table a little more together, but for next week, you'll have your own individual cup and wafer in uh, a little wrapper. So, but we'll do that next week at both services. And so the last thing is, for the last several weeks, and specifically last Sunday, uh, we've been talking about prayer groups. Um, and really, here's, here's what I need you to hear me say. You can grab one of these incredibly uh, creative art, work of arts that we created right here. Uh, this says prayer groups at the top. Uh, they're floating around. There's hundreds all over campus. We want every person at Refuge to be involved and be a part of a prayer group. We want you to be in one. Uh, you can go to the website below, or you can read on here as to what that looks like and what that might look like for you. Um, but man, we're excited about these, and we're excited about what God is doing here, and, and we believe that God has called our church to pray, and that it's going to start here. This is our first step in groups of any, of any form, and so we're excited to have you gather. And so somebody asked, several people asked, when do they start? They started last week, so you should get going if you're kind of waiting on us to say go. And then number two, how do I get in a group? You invite people to be a part of a group. That's really how you get in a group. People near you, people that work near you, people in your neighborhood, people in this church that you've built community with. You can go to the website and see more info on that. That was a lot. So let's pray and we'll get into Luke 10. God, we love you and we thank you for this morning and for your word. Um, God, I'm so grateful for uh, these five who had come forward uh, expressing their faith in you. Um, to be baptized, expressing, God, what you've done inwardly in their hearts. Um, God, for those watching at home, God, I pray they'd feel a part of this. God, and as we open your word now to Luke 10, God, would you transform us? Would you draw us to you? God, would you encourage us in your gospel? God, we uh, need you and we love you. Amen. Uh, Luke chapter 10. Um, I want to go quickly for the first uh, man, 24 verses and then, and then really want to talk about uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, and so, and so, uh, so kind of hang with me. So in the fall, we spent pretty much from August all the way up until Advent uh, covering the first nine chapters of Luke. Uh, if you'd like to go and hear those again, you can go back on the website if you missed any and watch. I will tell you, uh, man, if you pick up here, like if you've just started coming and haven't done any Luke, it's going to feel like you just picked up in the middle of Lord of the Rings and you have no clue what's happening kind of a thing. So you really need some context to Jesus' birth and to really what he talked about, because the first several chapters, he, 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 he's born, he comes on the scene, he's, he goes into ministry, and then beyond that, really, from about chapters four to nine, you just see Jesus continually saying, um, this is what it looks like to be my disciple. Are you my disciple? You really can't get the next, you know, 10 chapters without really realizing, man, those first nine chapters, so we spent that, you can go on the website, check it out, but, but we said this over and over, said several things each week. Number one, that every disciple of Jesus is given the gospel message to share, begging everyone they know and encounter to meet Jesus. So again, chapters four through nine, are you a disciple? This is what a disciple looks like. I've got to be able to answer, am I a disciple? Because if I am, then, the gospel, then I have a gospel message to share, begging everyone I know and encounter to meet Jesus. Meaning, man, my interactions at the barbershop, at Target, and at my barista, and with my neighbors all have like kingdom value. We don't just see people. We see people as God sees people, right? Because as disciples of Christ, we believe and know Jesus is the best way to live and the only way to die. We also said this a lot, that really our point in our, our series in Luke was to encourage you to know Jesus and to spend time knowing him more and more. 
So we said intimacy with Jesus, like a love for Jesus that can grow. It can't all be feelings. It can't all be feelings because if you're married, you know sometimes the feelings aren't there, but you're still married. Like it can't all be feelings, right? Man, it also has to be depth. So it's love for Jesus and knowledge of Jesus. It also can't just be truth. I'm married. Like that's weird, right? Like I actually love her as well. Like that part matters. I have feelings for her. I'm attracted to her. So it's the same way with Jesus. Man, we want to have intimacy with Jesus. We want to have feelings for Christ to long to be with him, but also depth and knowledge and truth of knowing him. So when Christians grow in intimacy and depth of Jesus, their mission and their calling of a disciple becomes very clear. So here's what I want you to see in the accounts of Christ as we step into Luke chapter 10. That Jesus is always drawing us to something. And in fact, we kind of hit on four things through the fall that I'll remind you of now, and then we'll get into Luke 10. But four things that he was always drawing us to. Um, Jesus drawing us to himself and to specific things. And these don't come as a guilt trip or a shame or by force. But as we meet with him in love and in mercy, he nudges, he draws, and he stirs, he leads, and he shepherds us to some things. See, Jesus took the wrath of God for our sin so that his disposition towards us could be kind. So Jesus is always drawing us. I'll just tell you four things. You can write them down quickly, and then we'll get into Luke 10. Number one, Jesus is always drawing us to holiness, towards holiness. Now, um, I grew up hearing, man, holy and putting that word good in there as well, like be good. And I think we have to replace good with godly. Um, one of the ways I've heard others say it is, man, the, the calling of the Christian life is not to behave, but it's to behold. It's not to be good, but it's to worship. And so Jesus is always drawing us to holiness so that our lives will be filled in an outflowing of worship. Man, man, God isn't saying be good. God's saying, man, be holy because I'm holy. Look like me, right? Verse or Number two, he's always drawing us to transformation. Last Sunday, we talked in depth about transformation, about really this year, centered Bible study, prayer groups, being opportunities for our church to take the next step and being transformed, which fits in our mission. We exist to see the lost saved and the saved transformed. So before you can be sent, there's a transformation that must occur. That the more we meet with him and the more we encounter him, we are transformed more and more into a worshiper of Christ. And also that transformation doesn't stop. You don't go, okay, I've been transformed for 30 years. I'm done now. And it it doesn't end in, in, in this world and in this life. Number three, Jesus is always drawing us to mission. What, where, open-handed. Every disciple of Jesus is given the gospel message to share, begging everyone they know and encounter to meet Jesus Jesus is always drawing us to mission, and we find our mission in intimacy with him. Listen, um, there's, there's two churches uh, that recently, the last couple of months, like we're only like 17 months old, that within the last six months have moved to Fairfax Avondale area within three or four miles of our church. And, and if I'm of the world, I go back off. But man, if I'm in Christ and I believe this gospel's real and there's lost people around, which I do, man, we cheer them on. We get excited we text in the morning, we're praying for you. We pray that God would do something amazing there that would lead to the salvation of so many in our area, right? And Jesus is drawing us to mission. And what, is, what mission is he drawing you to? And then number four, Jesus is always drawing us men to see others as he does. Uh, you could write down the word compassion. And do you see what God is doing around you? Do you see others around you who are hurting, suffering, struggling, in need. And I mean, beyond just discernment, do you see them? Do you have eyes to see? 
Do you see the most vulnerable around you and offer mercy and grace? It's one thing to go, there's a homeless person. It's another thing to go, there's a homeless person. Let's pray. How can I offer mercy and grace? Man, when we see those who are vulnerable, homeless, lost, broken, strung out as those who know Jesus, man, we need to be moved beyond how saying things like how sad and begin to ask, Lord, what can I do? We've begun to say this a lot here at Refuge that there used to be a mission on San Juan. If you go up and down San Juan a couple times, it is a depraved and dark and sad two-mile stretch. There needs to be something there that is ministering to people in their needs and bringing the gospel to them. But do you see others as he sees them? Right? And then so we get into Luke 10. And so here's the question we ask every week, and I'll tell you this right now. How in this section of Luke is Jesus calling me to be a disciple? So as I read this section, how is Jesus calling me meant to be a disciple? So verse 1 says in, verse, in chapter 10, after this, so after what? You're going to have to go and look, but it's that famous, the cost of following Jesus. Um, man, it's, it's take up your cross and follow me, right? So after he said these hard things, he goes to verse, chapter 10 and verse 1, he says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others. And sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. So Jesus sends, S-E-D-N-S, at the heart of the gospel and at the heart of the message of Christianity is the call and the conviction to be sent. And Jesus sends, he disciples and prepares us to be sent out. So my questions to you this morning is where has God already sent you? Man, I don't know how many times that I sat back in my walk with the Lord and thought, one day God's going to send me. He had already sent me somewhere. I just didn't want to be faithful there. And where is God sending you? Maybe you know some things coming up. Where is God sending you? Is your life available to God to be sent? And one of our values here as a church is members are missionaries. Man, does your lifestyle reflect that? Verse 2. I want you to, there's, there's two things you're going to hear this morning that I hope you can grab. You're going to hear this verse if you grew up in church, and you're going to hear the story of the Good Samaritan. And, and, and I want you to hear something new in both of those accounts. So verse two, he says this. He says, and, and he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. If you grew up like me, I grew up very fundamental Baptist. We would have these guys come in in suits, and they're always real big, and they yelled a lot. And they would, they would read that verse, and they would go, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. And they'd like stare, waiting for someone to respond. They'd go, is it you? And you'd go, no, it's not me. I just want to leave. Like, I just want to go eat pizza and watch football. I don't want to be here anymore. Like, that was always my response. But they would yell this verse, the harvest is plentiful and the labors are few, and they'd lock eyes with someone, and you'd go, stop looking. At me. I mean, this was the feeling that I grew up with. And I think what I, what I missed was the next part. Look what he says. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into the harvest. What he doesn't say is, will you go? What does he say? He says, pray that God would raise those up to labor in the harvest. He really says the most, the, the, the highest priority of men sending labors into the harvest is praying that God will raise them up. Man, listen, sent begins with prayer. If you don't know what to pray, begin to pray that God would raise up some people. The harvest is plentiful, meaning there's a lot of people that need to hear the gospel. The laborers are few, meaning there's only a few that are doing it. And so Jesus' response is not so go do something. What is his response? Pray. And pray for laborers to be sent out. And this is one of those verses. Again, if, if, you, if you miss it, you'll think it's a do and not a be. But he's saying, pray, come to me, seek the Lord. And he says, earnest prayer. 
That earnest prayer is that, that man, when I'm really struggling, struggling or suffering, that's that earnest, and I'm going, God, I need help here. That's the kind of prayer we're talking about. And so after he gives these two verses, you're going to get how or, or what it looks like to go. So verses three and four say, go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag. This verse makes me laugh. No knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Just go. And, and, and part of what he's saying is go meekly, trusting the Lord to meet your needs. I mean, how often do we go, God, I'll go when you do this. Anybody done that one right? God, once you meet this need, then I will. God, once you take care of this situation, then I will. Rather than going meekly and trusting the Lord to meet all of our needs. And listen, there's nothing more annoying or off-putting than an intrusive missionary who shows up and goes, I need before I can do, Right? Going meekly takes away the excuse we so often use to avoid being or living missional. God, I'm going meekly. I'm going without need. And I'm trusting you to meet my needs. Verse five, when you enter, uh, whenever, whenever house you enter, first say, peace be on this house. And the son of peace is there. Your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you and remain in the same house eating and drinking what they provide for the labor deserves his wages. Do not go from the house to house. Whatever you eat in a town, they receive you. Eat what is set before you. What he's really getting at is this, real simple. Go in peace. So when you're sent, we are to go in peace. Man, as you are sent, you carry peace with you. Guys, church, men, Christians, the worst thing we do is walk around as those who don't have access to peace through Christ and then stir up strife amongst the world and others like we don't know what peace is. He's, he's saying the command is to go in peace. Like he's literally saying, like, if you're Calvinist, fine, still go in peace. You're Armenian, fine, still go in peace. You follow this guy, fine, still go in peace. Like in the end, go in peace. Don't go to stir things up. I mean, a peace that draws people near. In a broken world that is full of sin, the peace of Christ in a believer's life isn't an attractive and alluring thing. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says he was pierced for our transgressions. And Jesus was crushed for our iniquities. And it says this, upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. I mean, the gospel at the root of it is he took the pain that brings us peace. So any peace you get today or tomorrow or yesterday is the result of his um, taking the pain for it. And this is the peace in knowing Christ and who holds our future. And then, then the next like seven or eight verses, there's just nine through 16. He's going to talk about going in boldness. You can follow along with me. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they don't receive you, go into the streets and say, look at this, even the dust of your town that clings to your feet, um, clings to your feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it would be more bearable on that day than for Sodom, than for that town. Woe to you, Cherazon. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you have been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago and they would have been sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment of Tyre and Sidon than for you. And for you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. Verse 16, and, and this is your, uh, this is, I mean, if I'm going to ever live sin, I've got to have this verse always in my heart. The one who hears you, hears me. Meaning God's using you. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. 
So, man, if, if you're rejected for your faith, if you're rejected for sharing, if you're, if you're, man, if, if you are the one who, if you have feelings about, man, I was just put out the pastor because I shared, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Christ in you. Your role is to be faithful, not to have results. And so he says, go in boldness. And, and, and church, listen, and hear me say, man, the, there is a word you cannot use today in our culture without drawing offense. And that word is sin. When we begin to talk about sin, everybody gets weird. And, and maybe it's appropriate to some degree because we've really battered that to death. But whenever we encounter someone and begin to talk about sin, hear me, talk about your own sin. And our job isn't to look at them and point out their sin. Our job is to go, I have a lot of sin, but man, I have a great Savior who's greater than all of my sin. Let me tell you about my sin. Like, I wonder if we begin to share the gospel with people and start with our own sin, what might happen? That's humility. That's not, hey, let me tell you why you're wrong. Let me, let me tell you why I'm wrong. But I met the one who's right. So rather, we preach the whole gospel. And to do that, we talk about sin. To share the real truth of how great our Savior is. Because if we don't believe in sin, then we don't really have a great Savior. But I mean, if we see our sin as what it is, we begin to see we have a really great Savior. And let me be very clear. The gospel will be offensive to many. The gospel will be offensive to many. Uh, years ago, um, I was asked to do a wedding. And I told the, the people, I said, hey, I will only uh, do this wedding if, if you let me share the gospel. I always, anytime I do a wedding, I tell people that. They said, well, you can talk about Jesus. And I said, cool, but I'm going to share the gospel. <laughs> they said, well, you can talk about Jesus. I said, well, listen, we can talk about Jesus all day long. But if we're going to talk about Jesus properly, we've got to share the gospel. And it starts with, I'm a sinner. And are you. But I also have a wonderful, incredible Savior who meets me in my sin, right? If you'd look with me down to verse 25 now. So there's this account of, it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. So you may have grown up in church hearing this, and the story goes, and then we'll read it in a second. The story goes, there's a, there's a Jewish brother, and he's, and he's heading from Jerusalem to Jericho. And on the way, he finds himself getting beat up. He's going to say naked and tossed on the side of the road, left for dead, about to die. And you've probably heard this story. And along the way, and I heard it growing up in church, and the way I would hear it was, the first guy that comes by is a priest, and that guy can't touch him because then the priest would be dirty. He'd no longer be holy, whatever. Then the second guy that comes by is a Levite, little religious, not as religious as the priest, also going to leave him hanging. Then another guy comes by and he's the Samaritan. And the Samaritan's going to help him. And in the end, he's going to take him to an inn, give some money. And, and man, I used to hear that story and they would make a big deal out of the priest being sketchy and, and, and a hypocrite. And they'd make a big deal about the Levite and they'd make a big deal about the Samaritan. And there's some great layers to that. But I think what we miss when we see that is the interaction between Jesus and, and, and the man he's encountering. What I want you to see is this man, this lawyer, is going to ask Jesus a question. He's not testing him to trick him. He's testing them to find out if this Jesus is really valid. And he's really going to ask this question. And, and here, here's the thing. Can you answer this question for yourself? And if somebody asks you this question, can you answer it for them? Here's the question. It's what we're going to read through in a minute. But he's going to ask this. Go ahead and write this down if you take notes. What must I do? That's the big word in this whole account. Do, D-O, to inherit eternal life. Like This is the question of our entire world and entire culture. How do I get to God? What must I do? Listen, do is, is like the most important part of this entire parable. So follow along with me in verse 25. It says, and behold, a lawyer stood up, put him to the test. So this lawyer, we're going to see a super bright, 
and he's going to know the word. We're going to see some things about this guy. And we also, as you read the account, you don't get the impression that he hates Jesus. You get the impression he's really trying to figure some things out. This is a guy who's really trying to seek some things and seek some answers. So behold, the lawyer stands up to put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I, now I underline this word in mine. You can do what you want to. What shall I do, D-O, to inherit eternal life? And how do I get saved? How do I get to God? How do I win God's approval? And do is the most important thing here. And please hear me. This is the question of the entire world. Listen, most people believe that they have to start doing something or stop doing something to win God's approval. Listen to me. In my own weakness, like on Thursday evenings when I'm tired and I don't want to do any more algebra and I've had a long week, Man, in my weakness, I even go back to this place if I'm not careful. Most people believe they have to start or stop doing something to win God's approval. And what Jesus is going to tell this man is that's not it at all. You cannot win God's approval because Christ did it for you. Is the message we're going to get. So how do you win? How do you win? <laughs> that's not it. How shall I, uh, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 26. And he said to him, well, what is written in the law? Have you read it? And he answered. And so you're going to know that he knows the word because he's going to answer correctly. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind and your neighbor as yourself. So he knows the answer, right? You see this. He knows the answer. So first of all, as Christians, we need to acknowledge we cannot fulfill verse 27. There's never been a day in your life as a Christian where you have loved God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength and with all of your mind, which you have never faded for a moment from loving God. You do, you sin. The Jaguars don't hire a Byron and you lose your mind. Like we, 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 like, and then we're, we're done, we're gone, right? Like these things happen to us. So he knows the answer, verse 28. And he said to them, you have answered correctly. And what does he say? Do this and you will have life. He says, if you do that perfectly, you will inherit eternal life. Man, the lawyer knew the law. Jesus says, do that perfectly and you'll have eternal life. Listen, what you and I know is that we can't, that only Jesus could do that perfectly. The lawyer knew he couldn't do this. We're going to see in a second. Listen, if, if, if we have to do something to inherit eternal life, we are doomed to hell. And the lawyer knows in his heart what he's supposed to do, but he also knows what he cannot do. So verse 29, let's go back to 20, yeah. But he, desiring to justify himself, let's pause. Man, that is the sin of our lives, is it not? How can I justify this sin? How can I justify this action? And it's the world we live in. How can I justify my lifestyle? How can I, in my own heart, approve this lifestyle in such a way that I believe God would also approve it? This is where we live. I want to justify myself rather than placing faith in Christ. Like the tension is, I'm called to place faith in Christ. Not do, not be any better, place faith, but rather I'd like to justify my current position. God, I want to do some stuff that's not about you. I don't want to really honor you. And there's this tension we wrestle with as a result. The lawyer knows in his heart, right? So verse 29. So desiring to justify himself, he said, so who's my neighbor? Man, this is the equivalent. And I think you can write this down this way. This is the equivalent of our day of saying, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. Of course, I'm not going to go to hell. Listen, the man felt guilty of his sin knew he couldn't do what it took, knew he wasn't perfect and wanted to justify rather who he was rather than accepting who Christ was. 
And this is the choice for all of us. Am I going to accept that Christ has done the work or am I going to try to justify who I am hoping that God will still accept me? Even though God's already told me. When anyone, me, you, those around us, see that they have sinned against God, what do we do? We look for a way out. This is justifying. I look for a way out. The only way out of our life, out of being lost and out of sin, is knowing Christ. Listen, there is no other way but knowing Christ. And there is nothing we can do. Now listen, in a minute we're going to read through the weeds of all the guys that he encounters along the road. Don't get lost there. Stay with the encounter of Jesus and the lawyer. Verse 30. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, a Jewish guy, and he fell among robbers who stripped him, beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Terrible day. Now, by chance, a priest was going down on the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Listen, we could take 10 sermons and talk about the hypocrisy of the priest not standing in the gap, but we don't need to go there. We know people are hypocrisy. We know we're hypocrites, right? Verse 32, so likewise a Levite, another religious man, and when he came to the place, he saw him. And then went to the other side. Like, that's, that's a whole nother list. This guy, that's sketchy, right? Oh, wow. Let me go that way. Like, I mean, come on. Right? Verse 33, but a Samaritan. Now, if you're not aware, Jews and Samaritans hated each other. There was racial strife. There was ethnic strife. They hated each other because of the color of their skin. We still haven't gotten better 2,000 years later. How sad is this? This is where we still are today, right? But regardless, a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, what did he have? Compassion. We just talked about this. Jesus sends out, he sends out with compassion. Meekly, go with compassion. He had compassion. Verse 34, and he went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Can we pause for a second and think about this encounter? Like when you're driving down the road and you see somebody with a flat tire, how often do you go, man, that's rough. Mm. Can we just be honest? I'm going to pray for them. That's helpful. I mean, it is, but right. But how often do we go, you know what? I don't have any time, but I'm going to pull over, right? I'm going to give them the rest of my day. I'm going to miss two meetings. I'm going to go to Advanced Auto, buy the new thing, help them put it on, fix all this. It's going to cost me four hours. And then here's my lunch that I just bought at Chick-fil-A. You can have it because I wasn't hungry, I guess. Like, this is what this guy does. Please get this account. This is not, oh, this is easy. This is, I've got to go out of my way. I've got to give up some time. Probably the most costful, costly commodity we have today we feel like in our lives. Listen, I've got to bind up his wounds. I've got to clean up a guy who might be dirty, who I might not know what's about him. This guy might have COVID, right? Pouring on oil and wine. I've got to use the good wine on this guy. Then he set him on his own animal. So not only that, I've got to put this guy on my ride and walk him and took care of him. Like, hear me. That doesn't happen in our world today. What happens is, hey, I called AAA, right? Like that's about the most of what happens. In verse 36, you know the rest of the story, right? Verse 35, and the next day he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. Look what he says. And whatever more you spend, I'll repay you. I'll come back. Are you kidding me? Like you get that guy's car to the shop and you're going to go back to the guy that's fixing it and go, hey, if it's more than that, let me know and I'll pay more. None of us have, if you've done that, please come see me after because uh, we're going to start a whole ministry around you because you're amazing, okay? It's just not in our DNA, right? So which, so Jesus says, which of these three, verse 36, do you think provided to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Which was the neighbor? Which was verse 37. And this is your, your kind of, we're ending here. Listen, he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, what? You go and, what's the word? Do likewise. The one who showed mercy. Jesus defines his neighbor. This is what he says to 
to this lawyer. He defines the lawyer's neighbor as a hurting man in a rough part of town from a different ethnic group who needs compassion. Jesus is also showing this lawyer that he, Jesus, came into the world to be that type of neighbor to him, to the lawyer, to show this lawyer mercy, to do for this lawyer what this lawyer could not do on his own for himself. Jesus does everything and more than the good Samaritan in the story for you, for me, and for this lawyer. Jesus is a picture of the good Samaritan. Like, I'm not just going to see you on the side of the road. I'm going to get over there. I'm just going to get over there. I'm going to make sure you have what you need. I'm going to make sure you get to the end. I'm going to make sure you get the good wine and the good oil and the good Chick-fil-A. I'm going to come back and pay your note. I mean, Jesus is a picture of the good Samaritan. First, in breaking down cultural barriers to bring salvation to anyone. And second, and most importantly, offering mercy to those who do not deserve it. He suffered in our place. And he was the only one who could do what was needed. So when this lawyer said, what must I do? Jesus is saying, I already did it. Right? To us, he said, to him, he's saying, I'm going to do it. Listen, and we'll wrap up. Jesus sees our sin and brokenness, even our feeble attempts at holiness, and comes to us in kindness. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrated his love to you and I, that we were at our darkest place, Christ died for us. Jesus pays the cost of our salvation by doing what we couldn't do on our own, living perfectly, dying obediently, and shedding his blood for you and I. And so let me end with just two sentences. Number one, this is offered to all. Jesus, this picture of Jesus as a good Samaritan is offered to all. There's not a human on this planet who this is not offered to. They all have value and worth to God. And then number two, to the Christian, listen, we cannot get over this. We must pray and beg and continue to stay in the gospels, singing the gospels, reminding our hearts that we cannot get over this. That I was dead on the side of the road and Christ came there and picked me up. No effort of my own. Would you pray with me? God, we love you. And we're so grateful for your word. God, that reminds us, uh, Stephen has said it a few times today, but can we just sit in it? God, that reminds us of your goodness towards us. That even though we don't deserve that goodness, you lavishly pour it out kindly towards us and on us, reminding us you care. You care about every part of our life. God, and most of all, you want us to know you. And you want us to know, God, that you took our place on the cross so that we could know you and spend eternity with you. I mean, if you're in the room and you don't know that, you don't know about this Jesus who loves you and who gave his life for you and who will meet you on the side of the road, can I just tell you, and he does, can I, can I encourage you that this morning that you would just pray a couple things? You can do it quietly in your heart and you can come find me after. Would you pray, God, would you forgive me of my sins? God, would you save me? Help me to place faith in you. And God, Jesus, would you be Lord of my life? Listen, if, if you prayed that or want to pray something like that, this doesn't need to be weird. I'll be up front at the service and I'd love just to chat with you about that. And maybe you came in and just need to be reminded of the gospel this morning. And you saw that in baptism and you saw it in the word. God, would you help us remember that we don't have to do, there's nothing we can do because you've already done it. And help us to think on that and dwell on that. God, would you draw us to you? God, we need you and we love you.